0: I remember about 20 years ago, I can't believe it's been that long, when I, w- I was at a pastor's conference, kind of preparing to c- come out to New Mexico, and, and Pastor Mike came and, and shared, and it was one of those moments where you knew that, that you know what, God was just speaking to my heart, and and every time Pastor Mike has shared in the conferences, and every time I've had an opportunity to hear him speak, man, it just… Uh, man, just to the heart, and, and uh, you know, he's going to be talking about staying the course in your trials, and, and he's been an example of that for me, and I know for many of you guys. And would you guys give Pastor Mike McIntosh a warm Calvary Chapel welcome? Thank you. If, would you open your Bible to First Timothy chapter 1, please? Our Lord, it's just an honor to be with you, with other men that are seeking you, and we thank you that there's no big secret that we can just ask for you and call on you, and you promise if we draw close to you that you would draw close to us. So as we as men have set this Saturday aside that we would like to let the community know that men are meeting inside this old Walmart building right now, and we're not talking about guns, and we're not talking about hot rods, or motorcycles, or we're not talking about skydiving, or we're not talking about pool, or billiards, or gambling, or what's coming down the river, or what kind of card game we're playing. We're not talking about football, or baseball, or the sports. We're not talking about anything that would be crude or lewd. We're talking about you. And this is an honor for me, Lord, to be in the presence of these men that want to know you. And I want to know you more too, Lord. So I thank you for for the privilege that uh, Ray has given me to be here. And so I pray, Lord, that the things that you have to say would just flow. And I pray for my brothers, that each one of them, no matter where they are, would stay on course, as this conference is called. If they're off course, they've spun out of control, They, they have no clue of what to do, I pray that you'd show them and speak to them and help them. Whatever the need is in every mind right now, I pray that it would become very small and you would become very big. Whatever the issues are, whatever any addictions are, whatever the struggles are, I pray they would begin to shrink right before their very eyes right now, and that you would become bigger than everything in their lives. We invite your love to overpower us. We invite your presence to just take the energy out of this room, that you are number one, that you are our focus, and we invite you to be right here in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a book on the internet I found before I came. I was looking for some thoughts and ideas about, uh, you know, staying in the course. Like here's a wheel to a ship right here. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go this way or that way, but I've got my wheel. I'm going to hold on to the wheel. I don't know if any of you are sailors. This is very important if you're a sailor. I'm a pilot. I'm not a sailor. I'm docking impaired, so every time I've had a boat with the kids growing up, we run into docks, we run into piers, we bump into everything we shouldn't bump into. But I do fly, and I like to fly, and I've flown for many, many years, and I've flown many different types of airplanes. And I know that to uh, keep your hand on the control, so that no matter what the trouble is, how, how bad the storm you're in, and uh, what you're thinking, keep your wings level. If you keep your wings level, you're going to be all right, you're going to make it. But if you lose control, you're going to spiral out, maybe. So in light of this thought, I brought a book, and I usually don't bring books, but I wrote this book. It's called When Your World Falls Apart. And maybe your world is falling apart, or you know somebody that's world is falling apart. And Graham Lotz did the foreword to it, and the subtitle is Lessons Learned from a Ground Zero Chaplain. I was on a special air disaster team that we were called when the first jet hit the Twin Towers. I was on call with a team of seven for spiritual care for any air accident in America in the month of September in the year 2001. Out of deep conviction and spiritual reasons, I chose September. I'd like to say it was really that cool, but it wasn't. It was selfish. Because I knew that the weather could be horrible anywhere in the country in different months and September is the most placid month in all 50 states, and I didn't want to be at some air disaster where the blizzard is blowing or the rain and sleet is coming. And uh, Pancho Juarez, who just spoke, was holding a leadership conference in Los Angeles and asked me to drive up from San Diego and speak that morning. And I rented a hotel the night before. My buzzer was on the uh, table, my beeper, uh, and I heard it going off at 5.30, 6.30, I guess it was. Uh, the first plane had just hit, and I thought, I heard this beep, 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 I thought the battery was going out of the smoke detector in the room, and I was looking around, and I just thought I got an hour more I could sleep and get over to Poncho's, and then I got back in bed as I unplugged the fire detector, and then I heard a zzzz, and I looked over, my vibrator was on on the beeper, and it was on the table vibrating. So I went over, I called Washington, D.C., and they said, have you seen the news? And I said, no. They said, your team is activated and we need you here as soon as possible. So I took the things that I learned, having had a high security clearance to be in the morgue, to be at Ground Zero, to be responsible the first two weeks for training the clergy from around the country, and uh, for helping the families. On the Saturday after the towers went down, in the Family Assistance Center at the National Guard Armory in New York City, 5,000 grieving people were processed. 5,000. If you can imagine a building so huge for the armory, every square foot is covered by weeping, crying people, 2,500 New York police officers taking missing persons reports, and the agony and the pain that was there. And I knew there was four parts for anybody's life. And your life could be in any one of these four parts right now. And God can show it to you and He can help you. And the basic thing is the first part of any trouble is there's the trouble itself, the incident, whatever triggered it. A divorce, an abortion, a plane into a tower, you have the incident. Next, you have a rescue. And you're trying to save the marriage. You're trying to save the business. You're trying to save your bank account. You're trying to save your health. You're trying to save your whatever it is. They had special dogs, and the dogs' responsibility were to climb all over that rubble, and they were to sniff and to smell, and then to give a barker something to say, there's somebody in here. But there came a day when Mayor Giuliani stood up in front of all the world and he said to the first responders, this is no longer a rescue. You may remember that. This is no longer a rescue situation, It is a recovery, and at that point I saw at ground zero different dogs were brought. These dogs were called cadaver dogs, and their noses knew nothing about finding and rescuing and saving any human being alive. Their noses were trained to find the dead bodies. So you go from the incident to the rescue to the recovery, and the fourth is the healing and the closure. You may be right now, got the bad news that you were laid off yesterday at 5 o'clock and you're here. Or you may be in the rescue that you were laid off a month ago or two months ago and you've only got so much in the bank and you owe so much and you've got so much that you could pay off and how are you going to save the house? Or you may be beyond that, you are right now in a recovery place that your house has been foreclosed on, you're renting something else, your wife has left you, the disease has hit your child, and you're over here in recovery. How do we get through this? And then there's this period of closure and healing. And some of you have gone through such horrendous things in your life, but you've never brought closure or healing. So the message to stand course is important for us. In um, on the internet before I got on the plane yesterday, I saw that there was a book when I typed in Staying on the Course, Rough Troubles and Waters, and I looked for all these connections, there was a book called Rough Waters. And Rough Waters was a hardback book, and it had a little snippet, if you were interested in reading it and going on. And it said, this is a book of dangerous episodes and survivors' experiences. And I was thinking, oh, I've seen this where the guys are catching crabs, pulling crabs up in the Bering Sea on television, and the waves are knocking them down. And I, I, I know guys that jump out of Navy helicopters, actually, from San Diego, and they go into the water and they rescue people that have, you know, been floating for hours. One I was with just a couple months ago, I says, have you ever jumped into where it's so bad the helicopter shouldn't be out there? Oh, yeah, lots of times. Have you ever jumped into, like, 40-foot waves? He said, try 60-foot. I said, whoa, doesn't it scare you? I mean, that's spooky. He said, no, I love it. (laughs) He's just the guy you want to jump in to save you. He loves it. You're seeing all the waves and everything that's hitting you. Now think of this for a moment. I've just come through three years of what I thought was hell, but as in the last two or three weeks I I begin to look back at this three-year experience, there were times that King David spoke to me, and he's dead. But he said that my troubles are like billows and waves that keep coming over me. There were days that I go, <gasps> whoa, can I get another breath? Are we going to make this, Lord? Will, you, will this ever stop? Have you ever thought that? Will things ever be normal again? And it's like David said, there are billows coming over me. And then I watched the Holy Spirit go deep into to my heart, my soul, and show me who I was, my human nature. And it was so ugly and so foul. And then I read David one night, and it said, my sin is continually before me. Have you ever felt like that, where you see your wretchedness, and you see your mistakes, and you see your failures, and you see the opportunities that you lost, and you see the dumb decisions, and it's all just in front of you. And... You can't run to Jack Daniels. You can't run to Mr. Zigzag. But do you run to the Lord Jesus? See, the world has all these little things to help prop them up in the rough times when they're not steering the course or staying the course. And the devil's whole plan is to get you to let go of the wheel. On the other hand, the Lord's plan is to let his hands help you hold the wheel so that He can show you how to steer through life. So I looked at that, and I saw a little snippet below this, and it said, Sailing Magazine. So I thought, well, Sailing Magazine has something to say about rough things for sailors, and it was about this book, Rough Waters. And to paraphrase it, it said, this is a book uh, that is a bag of yarn for old salts. A bag of yarn. So yarn, stories for old salts that like this kind of stuff. So I realized, okay, I'm a pilot, I'm not a, I'm not a sailor. And I remember a storm I got into one night flying a Cessna 310. And the, I shouldn't have been in it. I shouldn't have taken off from that airport. I flew a friend from San Diego to Northern California. His father had just had a heart attack. And I said, let me get a plane and I'll fly up there. And I filed for an instrument departure and the wind was so strong, it said it would be gusting but it wasn't when I started to take off, but it did when I was on the runway and it kept trying to push me off the center line. I should have right there pulled the power back, taxied back, found a hotel, took off into this thing, and it was horrible climbing out. Pitch black, you know, just drafts. We were going down 1,500 feet a minute, going up 1,500 feet a minute, going down 1,000 feet a minute. I'm trying to talk to the guys at center and say, is there a Clear visual VFR, weather anywhere about 35 miles more, and you'll be out of that. Thirty-five miles more, I don't think we're going to make it. Boom! We went down 1,000 feet. And my friend that was flying was a pilot. He said, "Mike, keep your wings level." The autopilot wasn't working, and I didn't want the autopilot because it could snap on us or something. And uh, one thought: keep your wings level can't see anything out there, I hear the rain pounding on the plane, hitting the windshield, and I turn on the light and I see a little bit of rime ice building up on the wings, I'm thinking, we're not going to make this. But I did all my training, came back, just watch the gauges, fly the airplane, watch the gauges, keep your wings level, just let this thing go up and down with it. We finally got out of it. So my message, following Poncho and following Ray, is keep your wings level. Just keep your wings, the basics. You're going to make it. This is a bump in the road. But learn all you can about yourself and about God during times like this. And let your old nature die to self. For Jesus said, If any man will follow me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself daily. So it wipes away any concept of religion. It's a daily process of you saying, get my cross up here. Okay, Lord, which direction are we going? Too many men run out without any cross to bear, and then they say, Lord, would you bless this? Where are you? Oh, you're way back there. Hmm. Just let go and let the wings stay level and follow him. He has your life laid out for you. So in First Timothy, I want to show you a verse here and it's verse 19, and verse 19 says, Have faith, having faith, and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Now, what I've just read to you is a text taken out of context. I took a text, and we're talking about rough life and rough seas, And I found the word shipwreck. It fits in with everything we're supposed to be discussing, right? But it's out of context. And whenever you take a text without a context, you have a pretext. Your life this morning may be out of context. You feel out of sorts. You don't feel like yourself. You're struggling. There's barriers, there's walls. You're not really communicating. There's frustration, there's anxiety, there's things going on inside of your heart that no other person in this valley can see. How are you doing? And you can smile and say, great, how are you? When inside you're dying, really. You're dying. And you don't know how to get out of it, how to get away from it. Do you run from it? What do you do? To stay the course towards heaven, gentlemen, is not easy. To be a true Christian man is an impossibility. We need Jesus Christ in us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit constantly filling us. And we need the map of how to make it. A Christian can't be a person that just going back and forth, up and down, and letting the winds of doctrine and the winds of business and the winds of whatever the turmoil is of present affects your heart, because the economy bad, now your life is messed up? No, you're on course. What the world is doing is not your heart. For the Bible says, love not the world, nor the things in the world, but the love of the Father is not in you. And so you may be finding that your fingers are being pried off of things that you've held on to for so long that were your identity. Your 1967 Ford, fastback, 289, looks like Steve McQueen's bullet, forest green. I don't let that go. It may be, but I've had this stock for so long and it's going to go up, or whatever it is. How can I let this image of who I am and all these things from here, from your heart of who you are, that you have surrounded yourself with as bumpers and bumper guards so you bump into the world and you've got this set that you can tell people who they want to think you are. But when all that is stripped away from us and you are naked before God, that's the one you've got to answer to. There is no escaping this. We're all going to die. And the Lord Jesus says, we shall all give an account of ourselves. My mom won't be there. You won't be there to help me. I'll be shuffling around, well, and I didn't mean, and we have to give an account. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that every man will be judged according to the gospel that Paul the apostle preached. And to stand there and to have accountability the word accountability is not in most Americans vocabulary. And America is in big trouble. Your country is in big trouble. You think of the thousands of years this valley has been here. How many times in the thousands of years that this valley has been there, been here, have a number of men like you ever gathered to learn from the Bible on a Saturday? Think that over. This meeting is a miracle. God in heaven has blown the trumpet. And he has something for you to do. And there are people whose souls will eternally be destitute and lost in a place of torment. Pastor Poncho talked about it last night. That in that place that we call hell, that rich man had a memory He had a memory bank. Imagine living for eternity in outer darkness, as we are told, where there's wailing and weeping and gnashing the teeth, which is the definition of a true psychiatric hospital of people that are psychotic. They wail, they weep, they gnash and grind their teeth. I don't know if you've ever gone in to minister. I have. Where they have people strapped or on tables with big leather. They bite themselves. They try to kill themselves. Hell is going to be that. You will hear the agony of every other man in this valley for eternity. And what will it be? Their memory of all the sin they had ever committed will be before them. Their failures in life, and even their successes, which were failures in light of, they will always remember the judgment seat of God, a great white throne, and this powerful Creator of heaven and earth, and He is sitting there, and He's going to allow you and me to justify our sinful lives and rejection of Him. That, in itself, is hell. People commit suicide. They kill themselves. Very basic. They can't live with themselves anymore. Because what's inside their mind is bigger than reality in their lives. And to shut off the mind, they think a 45 caliber bullet will do it. No they aren't this body. That is going to go on, that soul for eternity. It doesn't solve any problems. We have to stay the course. But some people go shipwreck. We just read it. But that was a text. It was out of context. So it's a pretext. What does it mean some men go surf, uh, you know, shipwreck? You have the vision right now. There's a reef, you can see it. It's nighttime and the ship runs against the reef. The waves come in and break it in half. The captain and the pirates are grabbing the gold and trying to get in the little rowboats over to the island. Or it's the iceberg and the Titanic that could never be sunk on its first cruise is sunk. And you have the picture, shipwreck. Dark, probably, nighttime, winds howling. What a frightening time. But your life is more than a bag of yarns and stories. Your life is very important. Shipwreck, what a strong term. How does somebody go shipwreck? Well, they stray off course. Could it be possible that you've strayed off course or this is just a clarion call to you hey, get back on course? We could get into an airplane right now, take off from the airport and we could say we're going to San Diego and I'm going to introduce you to some friends there, but for some reason the electronic gear isn't working right and the magnetic compass isn't working right and we're just three degrees off. That's not much. Three degrees? Nothing. Just three degrees. We're going to end up in Hawaii. We're not going to end up in San Diego because that three degrees gets further and further away from the straight line in the course I should have been going. You see, it's just a flirtation with a girl at work. That's all it is. You're just flirting. That's all. And then it's you're sitting down at lunch, and she's telling you what a rat her husband is. You're a little further off to course. And then it's, well, let me give you a ride home. Your car broke down. A little more off course and this. Hey, would you like to stop and have a beer? And do you know the rest of the story? It just starts ever so subtly and the devil just keeps pulling and pulling and pulling and the Bible is laid down and prayer is laid down and your heart is laid down and the world now has blown you off course and it's going to bring you a shipwreck. Is your life out of context? Because if we put it in context we just go up to verse 6. Would you go to verse 6, same chapter? 1 Timothy, look at verse 6. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. So now we realize that some men stray. But in verse 19, at the end of this chapter, we realize it starts there by straying and then shipwreck. And then another thing he says, they've turned aside. Billy Graham has always said for many years, it is not a sin for a man to be standing on the beach, or on the street, and a beautiful woman walks by, and he turns and he looks at her. The sin is when he turns and looks at her the second time. It's just natural. you oh, but then if it's the second time. So you're led astray, you're turned aside, and maybe this morning you are turned aside at something. It started out with just looking at Victoria's Secret catalogs that your wife had coming to your house. Then it turned into some bathing suit, Sports Illustrated. And then it became, and you're trapped. America is in big trouble. Its leaders have turned on God. And our country is going to find the judgment of God that every nation that has ever been here that has turned from him has felt. Unless men like you, please don't think there's another group of men somewhere, it's men like you that will stand up for righteousness, stay the course that could be used to save this country and the judgment that's coming its way. The audacity to think that a group of people would want to mock you and put up a building in honor of their God that caused men to fly planes into our buildings and kill our mommies and our daddies and our grammies and our grandpas and our sons and our daughters at work innocently. And where's the voice of men in America saying, who in the world is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's what David said, just a boy The king and the army are standing just limp-wristed. But David's first thoughts was, how dare him defy the armies of the living God? Men, I beg you, get on course and aim for heaven and look at that cross. It is the key to open the door for you on a straight and a narrow path. Not a path that you can be pulled aside and turned aside and goof off here for a while and then come back and say, oh, I'm sorry. Not a path that would lead you so far astray that you would lose your soul and be shipwrecked. Do you know there's three points to going astray? Very simple. Because now we have a context. You can go shipwrecked, but that's out of context. You can go shipwrecked if you turn aside and you go astray. Now we have a context. How do you go astray? How are you turned aside? And how do you end up with your life destroyed, bankrupt, lost everything? He tells you. Look what happens. I urge you, verse 3, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. God has raised up Bible teachers in this valley with such a huge Spaniard history to it. He has brought to this church a man whose grandparents on both sides are Spaniard. He didn't want to come here. And yet God has set him on the main highway with no money, giving him an old Walmart building. God's trying to say, men in this valley, you're going to be held accountable. Maybe the word wasn't coming in past years and centuries, but there is many places that you can hear the word. And as long as we as men do not stand up and resist the devil, he is going to steamroll American politics. And he's going to steamroll the judges. In the day that there was no king, it says in the book of Judges, the last chapter, the last verse, every man did right which was in his own eyes. And then the next book, right after Judges, is the book of Ruth, and the first verse opens up and it says, When there was no king in Israel, the judges did rule. There is no leadership in America, and the courts have taken over and passed the laws. Can you imagine the state I come from? There was an election that said men cannot marry men and women cannot marry women. Do you know there's a vote on that? And it was positive, It was strong. It was a huge percentage. They said, no. The other side came back and said, we're going to challenge that. Even though there was a vote and a judge said, you people are right and the common people that voted are wrong. Well, what happened to our constitution then? It's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And the people have spoken. We're right where it was in the book of Judges in the first verse of Ruth. We're under judgment of God, that the king is out of the picture, insanity has come, and now courts make the decisions, and the voice of the people is no longer heard. Can't you feel it? Don't you see it? But you're gone astray from the king, and you don't feel worthy enough that you can stand up as a man and say enough is enough. If me and my seven buddies need to run, we're gonna take this thing over, and we're gonna turn around and give it back to the people that's where we are today every man doing right in his own eyes is relativism and relativism is in all of our school systems and expanding you do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt me I have no right to say no to you but you live your life I live my life and it's all relative there was no Creator. We came from monkeys. You're just a monkey's uncle. That's all you guys are in some people's eyes. Just picking fleas off of each other. No, that's not what God wants. He's looking for men that will not stray from the course. No matter how deep the pain and the hurt is, no matter how crazy the world is around you, how loud the storm winds are, you stay the course because you know there are boys and girls and women and other men that need your leadership and your help to stand up and be righteous and to say, we are not going to allow you to put another adult bookstore. No, that's an infantile bookstore. They hide under the guise of adult. There's nothing adult about it. It's a pervert store. Perverts go into those adult bookstores and look at perverted things of women that are injected with heroin and have been kidnapped and enslaved into the slave trade and human trafficking in the United States of America, and our government is just blinking at it. And the good righteous men do not stand up and say, we will not have that bookstore, we will not have that strip joint, we will not have the lap dances, we want righteousness in our city limits. Are you with me? But where are the men? Who are these men? What happened to these men? How did we get beat down so much that good is called evil and evil is called good? How did we get to a place that the Boy Scouts are horrible organizations because they won't let homosexual men lead them? How did we get there? Because good men did not stand up. Because they can only fish in organizations that have boys that can't defend themselves and they already know the good men have gone asleep. And God said, I shall send a strong delusion upon the world. And Jesus said, it would deceive the very elect. And except those days be shortened, all flesh would be destroyed. So we're in the lethargic stage. Men are not standing up and resisting evil. The next is, all flesh could be destroyed. And this morning, as I stand before you, mocking the American people at the United Nations this week, the leader of Iran, let everybody be sure they knew that they now have enough uranium for three nuclear warheads. Well, our government says, no, let's appease them and talk to them. They have a plan. They think they're going to wipe out God's people and they're going to wipe out all the men of America because we are infidels and perverts. That's how they see you, because of our television, because of our pornography. We're perverts. I don't know. I stand with Joshua. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to stand for the Lord. And this is not just a religious meeting. This is God saying to the men of this valley, will you stand up for the Lord and resist evil? Will you protect the little boys and girls that have no strength to protect themselves? Some have strayed. How did they stray? Well, he said, teach them, let them teach no other doctrine or give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification. Now, the purpose of the commandment. He tells us why God gave this commandment is love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays his life down for his brethren. You know those men? They were men, like you and me, in valleys. And they said, we don't want anybody coming into our houses and searching us. We don't want anybody telling us what we have to do. We're independent. Nobody's going to take our rifles away from us or our guns. No, who are these people that have come in and said this? This is our country. It's a government of the people, for the people, by the people. And they laid their lives down in farmyards standing and resisting the wickedness and the evil and we mock their blood this morning that we've let the evilness come in of things that their minds couldn't even imagine and the enemy of our soul has said now I've got you all imprisoned and I'm going to take over with something wicked the enemy thinks he's got us but if we will make a compact with heaven today that God can count on us as a man, not a limp, wristed, nobody that's off course, but that we will stay the course, we will keep our wings level, we will not go towards the reef. We know no matter what we feel that that's the way. No other doctrine but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We're going to heaven and He's the one taking us there. So the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience And from sincere faith, a pure heart. If our heart isn't pure this morning, what a time for us to pray and ask God to forgive us and to cleanse it. A good conscience. I have found that if I don't have a good conscience, when rough times come or the enemy is obvious in San Diego, it is hard for me to step out into the public arena and challenge this but if my conscience is good I fear no man at all on this earth because I've got God living inside of me and I don't say that flippantly or arrogantly but I know the boundaries if I don't have a pure heart and I don't have a clean conscience who am I to tell you how to live your life but if I'm a man but my heart is pure I'm innocent I have a good conscience I can project the kingdom of heaven and challenge, and no matter what the challenges are, God will win the debate. And the third thing was sincere faith. I think with Pancho Juarez, I think with Pastor Ray, you've seen sincere faith. These are men that have faith. They love God. What an attribute for all of you to leave today with a crown on your head and a glowing heart that people look at you and they see these three, three things. Love from a pure heart. That man has a good conscience. He speaks truth. And that is a man that has sincere faith. If he said he's going to help, he's going to help. And there are so many people, men, that just need your male presence to stand there. And when you see somebody sitting with a pair of binoculars in a car, at a school, across the street, you get out of your car and you say, excuse me, sir, what is it you're doing here? And you challenge the pervert instead of letting him challenge you if you're a man or not. You challenge the evil, and the devil will flee from you. So I encourage you, gentlemen, don't turn aside, because the minute you turn aside, you are going to go astray and off course. And the minute you go astray and off course, you're going to go shipwreck. Jesus one day came walking on the water and all of his disciples in the middle of a storm were rowing contrary to one another. They cried out and said, it's a ghost. And He said, no, it's not, it's me. And St. Peter said, if it's you, then ask me to come. And I can guarantee you, what you've been hearing since last night is Jesus. Last night, a lot of teenagers gave their hearts to Jesus. It was great to watch. But if he is calling you, what have you done? What will you do? What are you doing about it? Bid me to come, and he's asking you to get out of the doldrums of everyday work, of people rowing contrary to the wind. And when Peter got out, it tells us in the Bible that he stepped on the water just like Jesus, meaning you and I have the power to. But when he saw the waves, he began to sink. Maybe you're a man that at one time had a pure heart and a good, clear conscience and sincere faith, and you've gotten out of the boat, but you're sinking. You took your eyes off of Jesus, and you put them on the conditions, and they'll overwhelm you, and they'll drown you. But if you get your eyes on the Lord Jesus, he will save you. And those are the greatest words in anybody's vocabulary. As he began to sink, he did not quote theology. He did not say, I'm worthy of this. He simply said, save me. In the next verse, and Jesus reached out his hand and took Peter and lifted him up. May Jesus do the same for all of you men. And may you be bright lights, not foggy lights, not hazy lights, may you be strong men inside knowing your position in God, you have a pure heart, you have a good, clean conscience, and you have sincere faith. And this valley will never be the same when this number of men start talking Scripture at the service stations and at the grocery stores and at all the places, and you bless the people of this valley. The demons are going to look for another valley, and you men take this valley For the glory of God and live these lives and stay on course. God bless you.